0: Well, Good morning once again. I don't know if you've noticed high school college graduation stuff has begun. I mean we've been getting uh, announcement cards of people graduating, there's parties being planned, there's ceremonies being uh, planned at this point, maybe a few that have already taken place in some college settings, gifts being purchased that are going to be given. Uh, people are making plans about what they're going to do with their lives in the months and years to come and uh, thinking about college kinds of stuff and so forth. And, and if you happen to be one of the students who's graduating, which I know that we have some students, and even for that matter, if you're, one of, if you're not graduating but you're kind of getting old enough to where you're beginning to look that direction, I just want to say to you, I mean, God does have a plan and a purpose for every one of your lives. I mean, you have been created by God for a purpose, And you're gifted in unique ways. You have certain things that you're passionate about. God has a plan for you. Uh, You are not the random collision of some chemicals. I mean, you are the creation of God. And your parents played a part in that, but God plays an even bigger part in that. And there's eternal things at stake because of your life and who God has made you to be. And uh, we're proud of you. We believe that God can do amazing things in your life and through your life and wants to do amazing things in your life and through your life. I believe it wants to do that with all of us. I don't think any of us are exception to that. I just think that some of us who are younger, sometimes we, we just don't know that. we got parents telling us that. we got educators telling us that. But we don't hear that sometimes. I hope, hope you just heard what I was trying to say. But here's what I want to add to that. I want to say for, for God's plan and purpose for your life to be fully realized, you and I, every one of us, have to develop a certain kind of life. We have to choose a course of life that will lead to us living lives that are worthy of respect. God has plans for and purposes for us, but if we don't embrace a life, a lifestyle that is worthy of respect and honor and following, we weaken at best and thwart at worst what God's plan for us might be. And so this morning, what I want to do is we're going to we're going to talk for a little bit about what a life that's worthy of respect looks like. Because in our culture, that's a real fuzzy thing. We think that a life worthy of respect is becoming a professional athlete, you know, it's becoming an actress or an actor who's on a screen and everybody like woo, and you walk on a red carpet. This is a life worthy of respect in our culture, is how we think. Uh, It's not about making a lot of money. It's not about becoming somebody where everybody knows your name. It's not that. A life worthy of respect is far beyond that. And the Bible tells us what it it gives us a vision of what it looks like really clearly in Scripture. And actually when one verse of Scripture that I want to draw your attention to this morning, if you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 12. You've already seen it on the screen, but we're going to look real carefully at it together. This one verse tells us the keys to developing and living lives worthy of respect. And my hope is that all of us will listen carefully to it and uh, embrace the kind, of, um, the kind of life that God describes for us here. Are you there? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. It's on the screen as well. This is what the passage says. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Now let me just pause. What if you're not young? Does this relate to you? That was really weak. Yes, it relates to you, even if you're not young. Because God doesn't want anybody to think less of you if you're older, either. But I think he's he's targeting here to Timothy, who was the original person that was being written to, who was a young guy, and and wanted him to understand that, that we have a tendency sometimes to... To think a little less of somebody who's new, somebody who's immature, somebody who's less experienced in life. And God's just saying, through the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, just saying, don't let anybody think less of you because you're young. Don't let your, your age limit you. And he tells us all how to become somebody where the age is not a factor in how they view us. He says, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love your faith, and in your purity. Is that not good? Let's, uh, let's read that out loud together again, okay? Let's just read it with me aloud, okay? Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and in your purity. He's you just saying, be an example in each of these areas. Every one of us, young or old, If we want to be respected, we need to become examples, people who live this kind of way. These are the keys to developing a life that sort of has an enduring respect associated with it from other people. Where they look at you and they say, that is somebody who I admire, somebody who's doing it the right way. Somebody who's doing it the godly way. There are five keys in these verses. I encourage you to write them down just because I tried to, to uh, make them easy for you to retain. Obviously, it's fairly simple. You can memorize this verse, and I would encourage you to, uh, to give that a shot. But this is the first of the five keys you and I need to, uh, need to give our attention to if we want to become someone whose life is worthy of admiration and respect. The first key is we need to pay attention to our words is what it's saying. We need to pay attention to our words. We need to respect the power of the tongue. When I think of that, I immediately think of James chapter 3. I don't know if you've read it lately or not, but in James chapter 3, these, uh, it paints a picture of the tongue that I just think is so vivid. In verse 4 and following, it says, A small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire and among all the parts of the body the tongue is a flame of fire. Do you get the picture here of what it's saying? It's just saying that the tongue is its like a little spark in a, in a dry western county of Kansas. I don't know if you've paid attention to any of the fires that have gone out on out there, I was talking to one guy this past week, and 85% of one county not all that long ago burned. 85%. That's that's a lot, houses, barns, cattle. It was just de- devastating. Begins with a spark. Begins with a spark. And the passage James is just trying to say to us. God is trying to say to us through Scripture that the tongue, the tongue can be that spark. It can set your whole life on fire. We're wise if we respect the power of the tongue. It just makes sense. For that reason. God repeatedly calls His people in Scripture to watch what they say, to pay attention to it. He challenges us to speak the truth, to be honest, to be kind and gentle with our words. He appeals to us to avoid profanity, gossip, slander. Ephesians 5.4 says it this way, Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. He's just saying, if you're a believer in Jesus, this is not for you. Pay attention to your words is the appeal of God. And that's true if you're older. But let me just say to all of you who are younger, this may be foreign to the way your culture and your peers operate. But God is saying, make it true of you. You don't have to talk like everybody else. You don't have to swear like a sailor. You don't have to do that. Ladies, you don't have to do that to make the men around you think that you're like respectable. I listen to some of the women in our culture nowadays and I just think, wow, some of the words that come out of their mouths. And I know part of what that's about is it's trying to, it's trying to, to operate in a male-dominant culture sometimes. And somehow you've come to believe that you've got to talk that way to get your way. and It's very unladylike. It doesn't make you more influential, really. Pay attention to your words, you and me. I was thinking about this. We need to pay attention in our day of our words in public and in private. Last night, I was sitting in a, our, our kitchen, and I was singing a goofy song. I was singing like this, a song. It's this goofy song that Lori sang a long time ago. And I was just kind of, kind of a gravely voice, and I was singing like this. And, and it, it, was, it was fun. I was just messing around. And lo and behold, I realized at one moment that she had was video. She had her iPhone in her hand, and I was now on her phone. And before I knew it, this image of me singing like a goofball was spread all over uh, her, our college friends. A bunch of them got this. So pray for me because I'm abused and my life is suffering. But my point is this. I mean, you can think you're doing something in private And it's not. If ever that was true in history, now is that day. What we say in private can show up on the Internet, in the media, like this. What we do in private can show up in public so rapidly. I was thinking about, I thought about this a lot in the last uh, couple of years during that whole election cycle, which, thank you, Jesus, is not going on right now, but... Our Constitution may guarantee our freedoms to speak our mind, but words always have consequences. You may be free to say it, but it may not be best for your marriage or your children. It may not be best in the workplace. You may not want to say that on a date. You may, want, you may not want that to show up in an interview. You may not want somebody to hear you say that, you know somebody that you would like to date, you may not want them to hear that. And on and on I could go with this, but the point is you and I are wise and we are embracing lives worthy of respect if we'll pay attention to our mouths, pay attention to our words, because words have consequences. And we know this. We just don't think the consequences are going to affect us until it's too late to reel the words back in. God warns us preemptively. He's just saying, pay attention. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say. in what you say." And I'll add this. It's, it's interesting he says to all believers because it's almost like he understands it. Like, in the culture of those who don't know Jesus, they're going to talk one way. Why would they talk differently? Their lives are not oriented around following Jesus. Why would you expect them to live differently? Why would you judge them for that? That's just the way they are. They don't know any better at that point. The appeal of God is, you do. I do. We know better. Pay attention to your words. It leads to a life worthy of respect. It doesn't stop there. In fact, I was thinking about this as I was working on this. I just thought, you know, it's, it's, God is brilliant. God understands that 85% of all communication is done without words, right? If the 15% is powerful, how about the 85%? All that nonverbal stuff is really what he goes to the next, and he just says, you want to live a life uh, you know, worthy of respect? The second key is pay attention to your lifestyle. We need to pay attention to our lifestyle. And this really gets at the whole matter of the pattern of our lives. It's about how we, how we live, how we handle money, how we manage conflict and disagreements. It's about do, how do we treat people, the poor, the weak, the disadvantaged? Do, do, do we treat them differently or do we, do we respect them and show kindness to them and, and generosity toward them as, as is appropriate and as led by the Spirit? This is about how we work. Do we give a day's work for a day's pay? Or do we expect a day's pay and then to do whatever I want to do and put it to the man? You know, because he's rich. That entitlement mentality. What, what, what is true of us? This is about our our lifestyle, the way we live. Are we honest or are we deceitful? Are we helpful or selfish? Are we whiners and complainers or will we try? You say, well, by nature, I'm I'm not an optimist. (sighs) Yeah? It's easy to be a complainer in our culture. It ain't no gift. And it ain't unique. I think in our culture, how, how the tendency is to think, oh, I can point out everything that's wrong. Whoop de doo. Who can't in our culture? You say, well, no, that's leadership. No, that's, that's negativity most of the time, is what that is. It's just complaint, it's negativity. God calls us to be people of thankfulness, gratitude. People of faith, people who are encouragers. That's what he calls us to. That's what doesn't come naturally. People have been pointing out negativity since the garden. Why can't I eat from that tree? Come on. We've got to pay attention to our lifestyle. This is all about how do I relate to my parents? How do I relate to my family members, my classmates, my coworkers? I mean, how do I do that? What's my manner? What's my attitude toward them? It's about how we spend our time, how we, how we prioritize our lives. It's about how I care for my body and treat others related to my body. How, how do I do that? And I could go on with this, but, but here's the thing. What comes natural to us? What comes natural to me sometimes, which is, I, do you like to take a nap ever? Yes. yes. Yeah. Thank you. We have an honest individual among us. Not, not many of us. The older we get, the more you kind of go. Naps are a good thing, you know. Here's the challenge with naps for all of us. Uh, naps can easily become laziness, right? Right. Come on. Right. It can. It can become that where we're just not getting anything done because it's not a nap on a day off. It's now like spreading into other places in our lives. and Before long, we're just, you know, we're, as the Old Testament describes, sluggards. Isn't that a good word? Sluggards. Slug, you know, plural, pointed at me. That's what that is, a sluggard, you know. And so that, that we can become that kind of a person. That comes natural to humans at least the vast majority of us. Personal preferences, self-interest, my wants, pursuing those things, those are all natural things to you and me. But let me just say this. Pursuing those things won't earn respect in anybody around you other than the person who is as committed or more so than you to themselves. I mean, you'll earn respect with the person who is bent on being selfish and getting what I want, what I deserve, you'll earn respect from that person and you'll end up on a TV show because that's championed in a lot of the TV shows. But what will not happen is that the people around you will will look at you and go, man, look at that person. Watch out for him. Watch out for her. Because the manner of living... The lifestyle is dangerous for everybody else around them. So God is saying to us, you know, if you want to live a life that's worthy of respect, be an example and with your mouth and what you say, your words. Pursue being an example in the way you live your life, your pattern of living. A humble, sincere pursuit of the attitude and the character and the lifestyle of Jesus is the way to go. Because I can assure you in our day that will stand out. People will notice in your neighborhood, your sports team, in your college. And most people will respect that. And wherein somebody doesn't, God will. God will. So it's all about paying attention to our words, paying attention to our lives. And if you look in the text, it's paying attention to love. It's not just what you say, the way you live, but it's being an example in your love, the way way we love people. You remember the uh, second greatest commandment that Jesus said? Matthew 22, verse 39, he says this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Second greatest commandment. This is about, this is about love. It's, it's about showing deference. It's about serving. It's about, about assisting. It's about, it's about an others-oriented life where it's not about me. It's, it's how, how can I bless your life? How can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Loving your neighbor, the other person. That stands out. People notice if you want to live a life worthy of respect, live an others-oriented life. Love your neighbor. Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He goes, remember the greatest commandment? It's a couple of verses before this, it's, it's loving God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment. Now here's what's significant about this as I was reflecting on this working on this message, it just dawned on me. I thought, you know, what is the passage in Timothy goes on to say, pay attention to your faith, which is really the fourth key. Pay attention to your love is the third key. Pay attention to your faith, which is the fourth key. What is our faith ultimately? Ultimately, our faith is a reflection of our heartfelt love for God. It's how we live out, you know, the greatest commandment, loving God with all of our heart soul, mind, and strength. So if we, if we want to live a life worthy of respect, it's about learning to live a life of faith. It's humbly and sincerely devoting ourselves to God. It's, it's about humbly and sincerely devoting our lives to, to knowing and, and trying to live out this book by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about, about humbly becoming a man or a woman of prayer who intercedes on behalf of the needs of people in our lives. It's not just serving them physically in some ways, which is really about our love. It's, it's that love being translated into prayer and understanding that God hears our prayers and that God can do what we can't. Paying attention to our faith is about Christian fellowship and, and try, I'm not trying to be a Lone Ranger Christian and think that I can do this on my own. It's, it's recognizing I need you and you need me. We need each other and It's about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as Hebrews says. It's, it's being here in church. It's being in worship. It's about giving God the first and the best of who I am and all that I have on a regular basis. It's about all of these things and so much more. It's about this humble, yielded spirit toward God. It's, it's what it means to pay attention to our faith. Even in a world, in a culture, where people in the media would mock that, most people still, on a personal level, will respect that. And as I said earlier, even if they don't, God does. And all the rest of us in this room do, because we know it's the right way to live. And we know this is the eternal way to live. When all the rest of this is gone... You know, when you are dead and physically gone, you're going to be glad you lived the way this book says to live. You know that. It's all about paying attention to our faith. So it's about paying attention to our words, paying attention, a lifestyle that's worthy of respect, paying attention to our words, paying attention to our lifestyle. It's about paying attention to our love. It's about paying attention to our faith. But as I stop there, look at what the passage goes on to say. Actually, let me pause right there. I'm sorry, all that buildup to go on. A word to students, students among us. Let me just say this. Some of you are going to be leaving here. And you take for granted what happens here. You take for granted what happens. I mean, you don't do it maliciously. You just don't know any better. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I'm just saying you can't know what you don't know. I mean, that's true for all of us. So you will leave here and you go to a college environment or some, some of you may be graduating from college, and entering a work environment. And here's the thing. Uh, you need to pay attention to your faith as you make these transitions. And it's a key thing for you to find a church if you're moving away from here. If you're at JUCO, you can hang here. But if you're like if you're moving to another city, another state, another place, you gotta find a church. A Bible-believing teaching church. Your goal is not to find the coolest church with smoke. Shh. <laughs> Lots of lights and the pastor comes out of the floor on a, on a, this is not your goal. Okay? That doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It might. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means you've got to find a good Bible-believing church. You've got to find a campus ministry. I, most of the colleges in our region, we know campus ministries. I mean, we can partner you with them. Talk to Cody. Talk to some of us on staff. We can help you partner up with some of our campus ministries here in the region. You've got to find a Bible study group. And once you're in one of these or or committed to one, first of all, I say, do this the first week. Or before you even show up, do it. And then once you have committed to be a part of it, here's, here's your assignment. Go. Go. Don't let anything get in the way of that. Why would I say that? Because you need the camaraderie, the fellowship, the rootedness that comes with some others around you who share your values, who are trying to head in this direction. Because there are going to be plenty of people in every college environment anymore that this is not their objective. In fact, many of them have strategically ordered their lives and the structure of the culture in a way to undermine every one of these five lifestyle or five keys that I've been talking about. If I had time, I could break each of them down and say, this is how it's strategically undermined in this area. This is how it's strategically undermined in this area, in this area, in this area. And honestly, some of you probably have not thought that much about it, but I do a little obsessively because year after year after year, I watch some of our college students go away. And it's not that we've done a bad job as a church. It's that in these college environments, they are strategic about some of this stuff. And we who are God's people have to be as strategic about living this kind of life. And part of that, students, is not thinking you're going to do this on your own. It's connecting with some others, some other young men, some other young women in that college environment. And then going, going, going. Most will respect you for it. I can promise you every one of us in this room will. And I can promise you that God will respect what you're doing. Okay. Fifth key to earning respect is we need to pay attention to purity, and that's that's the fifth one that the the passage hits on. Be an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. I want to read a passage scripture that uh, I afflicted my boys with as they were growing up, and uh, because dads do that, so dads make note of this passage. It's a good one. First uh, Thessalonians four. Are you writing? Verses 3 to 8. And in our, pa- in our day, this is a big deal. This is what the passage says. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from how much sexual sin? Stay away from all sexual sin. Can, can you believe this? I want to pause right there. I've had couples in the past, long, time, long past, say to me, I, I'm attracted to this other person. She happens to be married, but I think God. I think God wants us to get married. Wants us to get married. Is that God's will? God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. I had couples. You know, say, you know we're, we're thinking about moving in to, w- with each other because we're just, you know, we're thinking about getting married. You know, it's, test drive a car. Kind of give me this whole thing. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. I could go on on this in our culture. When it says all sexual sin, stay away from all of it, it's talking about intercourse outside of marriage. It's talking about pornography. It's talking about everything between that continuum. Stay away from all of it. I mean, the Bible couldn't, I mean, the only thing God could have done more specific would have literally been list this this particular sexual sin and this particular sexual sin. And guess what? He does that in some other places. But he can't do that in every passage because we would get tired of that. And so he just says here, just stay away from all sexual sin. And then he goes on and says, then each of you will control his own body. And live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. It's interesting to me. When I think of this passage, I think of the pagans that he makes reference to in the way that they live. And in our day, sometimes the believers behave like pagans in the way that we live, sexually speaking. And I just keep thinking, how, what analogy, what picture would God use in our day? He uses the analogy here of pagans in the text. But what would what illustration how would he depict it in our day and the picture that always comes to my mind when i think of that is i think of my 100 pound yellow lab sam when sam was younger sam's 11 now so he's he has no problem with these verses of scripture at this point in his life <laughs> at 11 but when sam was younger and you would come to our house it was always a traumatic experience not just for you but for us because even though Sam had been fixed, Sam didn't know that and Sam would uh, sometimes he was eager to visit you how would you like it if everywhere we went you know, you, you, you go and you have 100 pound labs just coming at you you like that? is that what you want at price chopper? Is that what you want when you go to the theater? Is that, is that, is that really what you want when you, when you go to the bank? You know, is this, is, this, is this what work environment? This is the picture of what a culture that does not respect the power of the sexual nature. I mean, people who won't restrain themselves, that's what you get. We live in a culture where you can go to work and students, you can step on a college campus and there is opportunity for sexual sin that honestly, I, you know, I don't know what to do about it other than I and all of us warn you to say, oh, don't go down that path. I mean, God's saying his will for you is to stay away from all sexual sin, all of it. Stay away from all of it. And it goes on, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife or his husband, I might add, for the Lord avenges all such sins. That's a, verse, that's a phrase that maybe ought to make us a little nervous, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying Pastor Greg's teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's what the passage passage is saying. You can look at me and you can say, you came from another time. You are a dinosaur. (laughs) And I can say, well, apparently God was alive during the dinosaur age and thought that was a pretty good time. That's the way we're to live. It's, point is, if we want to live a life worthy of respect, we've got to pay attention to purity. We've got to pay attention to purity. And those of you who are stepping into college environments or work environments, please pay attention to that. Please pay attention. Now, with all this in mind, I want to ask you, which of the five keys are you paying the most attention to? And now will be a good time, just in your spirit, to thank God for progress, for some success in there. Not that you succeed all the time, but it's a good thing. But then the other question is, which of the five keys that we've talked about here have gotten the least of your attention? Maybe the Holy Spirit this morning is saying, maybe in the days ahead, you need to give some more attention to that. If you will, here's the cool thing. The five keys to earning respect that are revealed in First Timothy 4:12 will help you earn respect with God, with people, and listen to me and yourself. I want you to hear me. The foundation of all self-respect are these five keys. So let's wonder why we feel the way we do about ourselves. Why we feel dirty. Why we feel not worthy. It's not because God doesn't care about us. In many instances, it's not because God doesn't care about us. It's because we're not paying attention to these things, and we haven't paid attention to these things. And we're still not paying attention to these things. And these things continue to undermine any sense of self-respect in us. I don't pay attention to my mouth. I don't pay attention to my lifestyle. I don't pay attention to my purity. I, I don't love anybody but me. I'm, out, I'm looking out for me. And, and I throw God a bone once in a while because, you know, this is all here, you know. If you want to be respected, not just by people and God, but yourself. Devote your life to these things. It'll change you. It'll change everybody around you. And the good purpose that God has created you for will come to pass, not because you're so good. (laughs) Because every one of us is screwed up in these areas. The good purpose of God will come to pass because you've oriented your life about heading in the direction that he eternally planned for you to walk before you were born, before the foundations of the earth were laid. He planned for us to live this way. And if we'll orient our lives around it, we'll earn his respect and the respect of others and even our own. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. Maybe you need somebody to pray for you about one of these areas. We'd be happy to do that. Maybe this morning you just need to recommit your life to uh, paying attention to one or more of these areas. As we pray, do that. But if you'd like somebody to pray for you about that, we want, we want to do that. Maybe if you're heading off to uh, school or college or a, a new work environment here in the near future, you know, come back tonight for grad night. We're going to pray for you about all that then, too. But um, just commit your life to... Devote yourself to this kind of lifestyle, and uh, you'll win. You'll win. Every time. Every time. Let's bow our heads and pray. Glad you made it this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person here, every person physically here, those listening via live stream or uh, messages online. Just thank you for them. You have a plan, a purpose for every one of our lives. Help us, oh God, to pursue a way of living that's eternal, that will lead to others respecting us and you respecting us and healthy self-respect. Help us, O God, to honor these keys that are clear in Scripture with our lives. We want to honor you in doing so. Would you go with us as we leave this place? If there are things we need to do, would you help us? Would you fill us with your spirit that we might succeed at this more than we fail? And we'll rejoice to be your children. Go with us now. And we lift this prayer together in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. Amen. Bless you all.